So thank you for your welcome, Gordon. And uh, Tommy's loitering in the wings there to see that because every now and then he said he'll just wrench the microphone from my grasp. You can see how uh, <laughs> we've worked together for quite a bit of time. And uh, we met a few months ago, um, particularly to share our experiences on learning uh, because we, work, we both work with many churches across Ireland and many leaders of churches across Ireland. And um, we both felt strongly that it was incarnational presence in local community that it, God was wanting us to talk a little bit about um, and share with you today. So we pray very much that what we say, uh, God's Spirit will be here, that you'll be prompted to ask us any questions you want to, and that this will really be of something that will be of help to you, because I, I hope it is, certainly what I have to say is practical. I'm sure Tommy's much more spiritual. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of my background, because uh, uh, some of you may know me as a, as a singer, which is a bit unusual. What am I doing talking about... Uh, working in and alongside communities when, in fact, I trained as a singer and an actor. But God, uh, God has an amazing way of uh, taking what gifts you have and enabling you to walk into um, his vision for your life and the gifts that you have. And uh, I, through a circuitous route, I ended up in, in Newton Ards working in a project there called the Link Family and Community Centre, and it was really those 15 years that started a journey in me of understanding something more about how do we as Christians engage in local community. During that time, I became a facilitator for Tear Fund's church community and change process. A lot of people don't know that Tear Fund for 20 or so years had a, a part of them called Impact UK. With all those acronyms, IMPACT stands for Integral Mission, Poverty Action and Community Transformation. And uh, they had been challenged by an Indian partner all those years ago who said to them, well, it's great what you're doing in your own country. Uh, or, sorry, it's great what you're doing in our country and it's great what you're doing in Africa and across the world in terms of helping churches to understand the need of their local community and to engage with it. That's now become known as church community transformation. But what are you doing in, in the United Kingdom? What are you doing in your own country? And they were challenged and actually they began to adapt the process that they had started in Africa, which was called emoja. And emoja is a Swahili word which means together, togetherness. And the idea is that they work together with their community and alongside their community. Um, so it wasn't about doing things to the community. It was about discovering the need alongside others within their community, recognizing that they are at the, at the same time members of that community and helping to lift people out of poverty. And it is so successful in international development terms that actually... Tear Fund have just undergone a strategy refresh and of the three things that they're focusing on, that is one, the top one and the main one because church community transformation has been a real, really blessed by God in terms of enabling people not just to be lifted out of poverty but because of their relationships with local churches to start to come to faith in Christ. So it's a really good, integral way um, of, of engaging in, in the community. And, uh, and then uh, uh, Tear Fund took a different turn. 
So Thrive Ireland's actually birthed out of Tear Fund because they decided to follow Jesus where the need is greatest, and that need was $1.25 or less a day, which the UK didn't fit into anymore. So I was asked if I would be interested in um, working alongside a part of Tear Fund called Inspired Individuals, which I think is a great name because there are so many people uh, who are inspired individuals. And the difference in working it with this group of people is that we concentrate on the individual and building up their gifts and leadership, which ties in very much with, with what Tommy does, uh, and helping them to just bring transformation locally in their local community. So I am incredibly blessed to spend time in South and East Africa with incredible people from Zimbabwe, Rwanda, Burundi, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Uganda, Kenya. And the learning from this work has been absolutely vital in shaping and informing some of the experiences that my 15 years in the link have brought. And that's a bit of a long preamble, but it's to give you an idea of where I'm coming from, because um, I don't believe that God brings you on a journey for, um, for, for just no reason. But of course, there's, there's so much that I feel that I'm being brought to bring back to the church for learning. And I think if you're sitting here and you feel like a novice and you're, you feel like you don't know what you're doing, well, I was a novice when I started. And actually, there's so many people that I talk to and those who are doing the most incredible things in their local community here in Northern Ireland or in the Republic of Ireland have sat and said to me, do you know, Diane, I've absolutely no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just relying on God day by day. And do you know, that's probably half of the problem. If we rely on our own strength and our own skills, actually, that is going to cause us a problem because we're going to get tired, we're going to get despondent, we're going to not believe that we can do stuff, we're going to rely on other people, but in fact, relying on God is at the heart of this. So Tommy and I looked at a few headings in terms of what we would talk under, and the first one is the importance of relationship because we're looking at that question Presence or programs? I see a lot of things, you know, purpose-driven life or 40 days of purpose. Or, and these are all great things. But there's something inherently important about relationship. Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, which is at absolutely at the heart of the gospel. And sometimes we think so much about our relationship with God that we forget about our relationship with each other. Or our relationship with each other is only our relationship with each other in the church or in other churches around us. What is our relationship like in terms of our local community? I learned very quickly when I was at the link that um, huge perceptions exist um, within communities and within churches. And it goes both ways. So perceptions from the church about the community and perceptions from the church uh, about the church from members of the local community. Particularly, I would say, maybe more middle-class churches and local loyalist estates, which is where my experience was in the Newton Arts context, almost 90% Protestant town. <clears throat> we did some research way back in 2003 at the link, and it showed that the community didn't feel that the churches cared about them. And they cited examples of writing letters to clergy to invite them to community events and not receiving even a reply and no one attending. 
But interestingly, the, the reality in this case was that clergy are often the only ones that the mail goes to. And one minister confessed that he'd sometimes got an invitation a couple of days after the event was over because it was at the pile of a bottom of correspondence. In Island McGee, a Presbyterian church who were doing a community audit for the first time, and they felt they had a really good relationship with their local island community. But they were shocked to find that the feedback showed that a substantial number of people felt that the church was only interested in getting their money. But as we know from experience, because we all have perceptions, if we're honest, about those people out there or that group there, perception actually only changes with relationship, with actual knowledge and with understanding when we start to build those relationships. I'll give you an example, just a, a very simple example. When, when I was with The Link, we, um, we st I started to get involved with a prayer group. It started with some Presbyterian women who wanted to meet to pray about the needs of the local community. And I have to say, I was really cynical. I thought, well, do, what do they know about the needs of the local community? But the point was, they really wanted to know. And of course, the reason why I was there was because I was working day and daily with the local community in Newtonards and was able then to, to link them up with some people who were engaging at grassroots. Christians who worked maybe in women's aid, in a, in a charity called Home Start, in youth work within the town, bring them there and let them talk a little bit about the needs around domestic violence, about the needs around uh, challenges for, for young mums or mothers of, uh, with, with many children under five, struggles that people had and what was happening out there in community. And a, a, about a year and a half after we started, we had a prayer breakfast and the women stood up and talked about what God had done in their hearts. And they admitted that they had been very judgmental about those out there in the community, particularly those in the loyalist estates that surrounded Newton Arts. But they said that as they'd got to know about those women, as they'd understood, as they'd found out the incredible things that those women were doing in the local community, and as they had prayed for them, with that understanding that God had begun to change their heart. And of course, as they got to know what the need was, they were able to respond in practical ways. So domestic violence, there was a, there was a refuge in Bangor. Uh, the girl from, from uh, Women's Aid said, look, when women come out of very difficult domestic violence situations, <coughs> they've, they've nothing with them. They may have children, but they don't have pajamas, they don't have toiletries, they don't have towels, they don't have anything sometimes. If there could be little welcome packs that you could put together, that would be fantastic. And so the churches started to do that. And a number of women also started to volunteer with Home Start because actually volunteers with Home Start, all they need is, you know, the experience of having been a parent so that they can draw alongside those and give them just a little bit of respite and support. And that then just started to build some relationships. Thanks, Diane. Um, I've been challenged around this whole concept of how do we actually as people of faith engage better with people in communities and Diane's given you a little bit of background on some of the stuff she's been involved in but I want to take you back a little bit uh, before picking up on the subject of relationships that Diane has been talking about and a number of years ago I, I decided to go back and do some study about this very subject uh, particularly around missional leadership and, and as part of a dissertation I was writing 
I, I was drawn to write on the subject matter of how to re-establish church at the heart of community in Ireland. Now, in doing that, my dissertation supervisor posed two challenges to me. One was, what did I mean by church? And two, if I was using the word re-establish, it assumed that church once had been at the heart of community and no longer was. And so that took me back on a historical journey. I want to take you back very briefly to uh, the 1840s. And the whole issue of churches engaging in social action in Ireland really roots back to the famine years. And uh, in the county of Wexford, a group of evangelicals decided that they would do something very practical to help people who were dying of hunger. Um, believe it or not, in 1843, they saw the establishment of the first known soup kitchen. And it was in Wexford, established by a group of evangelicals. So if you've, if you've done a soup kitchen recently, you're not the first. Um, but there were those who, who were concerned that the soup kitchen was actually a way of these Protestants evangelizing Catholics. Uh, and so there was some resistance in the community. But that was the first evidence of real social action responding to real need in the community. So the, the bigger question was really, what do you mean by church? And over the years, I've more and more come to the conclusion that the church can respond by programs, but the church is best when it releases the presence of Jesus. Wherever the people who are the church go each day. Um, Diane's talked about some of her folks engaging with Women's Aid, some engaging with um, Homestart, and going and being part of those organizations. You know, sometimes... Bringing the presence of Jesus is no more difficult than being present in your community uh, and building relationships with people in the community. Um, recently, I was doing a seminar similar to this, and I, I said at that seminar, we can bring transformation, each of us, by simple acts of loving kindness, by our presence. But in this week, when we've been thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, I was... Um, drawn to a quote I wrote down on Monday morning in the Bible reading by Heller Morris um, when she said without the Spirit's power our church programs are ultimately futile none of this can happen without the power of the Holy Spirit and that's where we relate this right into the theme of this week at New Horizon that without the power of the Holy Spirit working through relationships or relationships will be futile in themselves. And Dan talked about relationships. And when we come to realize that the Holy Spirit dwells within each one of us, as has very much been talked about this week, and we come to realize that whether we turn up at the school board of governors meeting, whether we turn up at the local business group, whether we turn up at the Mullern Tots group, or the, or the Home Start group, or the Woman's Aid group, we turn up carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And so as the living church, as, as maybe not so much the institutional church, but the living church, when we turn up each day, we make a choice to bring the presence of God with us to those situations that we experience. But building relationships with communities takes time. Uh, Matt Bird, the founder of the Cinnamon Network that Gordon referred to earlier, was asked years ago to speak at a conference on networking. And he refused to go because he said he didn't believe in networking. So the, the gentleman insisted and said, well, we would like you to come and speak on. So what do you believe in? And he said, I believe in relationships. 
And there's a very simple premise here that relationships need to have no agenda. If we try to form a relationship out of an agenda, people will smell that a mile away. Um, about nine, eight or nine years ago, I was actually doing a piece of work for Diane, <laughs> um, doing some research around the role of church and community in the Ars Peninsula. Diane will maybe remember what I'm about to refer to. And we were doing a focus group in Kirkcubbin. I think that was where it was. And uh, there were two discussion groups running. And I was facilitating one and another chap was doing the other one. And I happened to notice this lady walk out in tears from the other focus group. Now, Gordon is at the back to make sure no one escapes from this focus group. But, or or this, this particular seminar. But if you leave in tears, Gordon, you have authority to go with them and be pastoral. Um, <coughs> but this particular lady left in tears. And... Of course, I had to find out who she was and why she left in tears. And turned out she was a local minister who had been challenged in the focus group by a community rep. And the community rep asked the question of the minister, who do you think you are to show up here and think the community will accept you? And his words, and he was from a trade union background, but his words were, the church abdicated his role in society 50 years ago. Don't think you just can walk back in. Now, I'm sharing that out of a heart of a man who probably had been hurt at some stage in life, but shows that we cannot expect as believers, as Christians, to automatically build relationships. It will take time to build those real relationships. I can imagine Diane's ladies from her prayer group when engaging with the ladies from Woman's Aid. It took time to build the relationships I'm sure faith and sharing faith come into it, but perhaps not in the immediate short term. And so all I would say in building relationships, be intentional about building relationships with people who don't belong to your church. Be intentional about building relationships in the community where you can turn up and bring Jesus with you. Dan. This is a tag game. So we want to talk about, the second thing we want to talk about is incarnational life. This is God's model. God sent Jesus to dwell among us. And the word was the truth and the light. And he dwelt among us. And that's actually what the church is called to do. It's called to dwell among people and bring that truth and light. But it's not just the word. It's in all aspects of what we do. It's who you are to people as well as what you say to them. Because if what you say isn't backed up by who you are, it's really not going to fall on, on, uh, on open ears. And what exactly are we talking about when we say community? Because actually, it sounds like it's us and them. And, and that has always resonated with me because the number of times I'm asked, well, what do you mean when you're talking about community? Because, of course, there are so many different communities. There's a community of the church. There's a community outside. But what I'm saying is, this is actually really vital when we think about this particular way of uh, engaging as a church body of people as opposed to as individuals. Because at the same time as being members of our church, we are also members of the community in which we live. Do you understand what I mean? You care as much about where your children go to school, about the services of that community, about whether it's safe to go out on the streets at night, as the people who don't come to church do. 
But actually, many of those are engaged in trying to do something about that aren't necessarily within the church. It's almost like we have two different hats and somehow we take one off as we walk through the door of the church and we become this church person and we unscrew our brain and then uh, we, we put on another hat as we go out into the community and we become a totally different person. So it's just to try and think about this idea that actually we are equally members of the local community as we are members of the church. And perhaps that's also a response if people do challenge us out there. I'm also a member of this local community. I may be a member of this church, and out of my faith, I want to care, I want to engage, I want to pray for this community. But I care because I'm a member of this local community. I bring my family up here. And another question that would be interesting to ask, and this is a difficult one. Do most of your congregation live in the geographical area around your church? Because that's actually quite difficult. Because why then, if I don't live in the geographical area around my church, should I care about the community that I go to church in? And actually, some of these questions are very, very challenging. Because you have to ask yourself personally the question, why do I pass 17 churches on the way to my church if you decide that's what you need to do? So what calls you to that church? Is it the all singing, all dancing praise? Is it the fact that you have a safe place for your children? Or is it that you feel genuinely called to be a people of God in this place to bring that transformation that we pray about in the Lord's Prayer and that Jesus has taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So these are difficult and searching questions that we need to ask. So we need to develop an understanding of our identity as a people of God who've been placed in a specific location to seek its welfare and transformation. And then that has a really big impact on how we look at mission. And it becomes an integral part of all aspects of what we do as people of God. And Jesus is the one who helps us to see that whole life mission in action. He didn't just preach. He listened. He gave people their place. He healed the sick, both physically and mentally, and he wept over Jerusalem. He looked down and he wept. He cared about the whole community, broken relationships, hurting and broken families, those suffering domestic violence, those crippled with debt and worry over that debt, those who feel unloved and unwanted because they just don't fit into what society says is normal. And it's those people who are different to you those people who are the most poor and marginalized that we're called to love and to build relationships with. And those are the ones that we struggle the most to do that with. So I was thinking about this a little bit recently and um, I wrote down something. Um, most of these, well, some of you who know me, the ones who know me in the room will know I do quite a bit of work on Twitter. Um, I met a guy in the 10th on Monday. He says to me, he introduced me to his wife as Tommy from Twitter. Um, but uh, it was amazing to find that his wife in her bag had a notebook with some of my tweets written at the back of it that she had written down. So that was encouraging. But one of those tweets recently was, transformation occurs through relationship, not through separation. And this particular statement has a degree of theology maybe behind it in the sense that for many years, 
I was in the situation that maybe others in the room were of being so integrally involved in church life, busy, 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 that I have very little engagement with the rest of society. And, and sometimes in churches we can become so busy with our programs, with our organizations and with our activities, and it's all good. It's all positive. But it creates a sense of a buyer to others outside the door. You know, I met somebody recently who has recently come to faith, and they said that for years they just saw their local church as a brick building that they weren't allowed into because whenever they had been young, they had caused mayhem in it. And it's interesting how people who are not of faith perceive or brick buildings. And so relationships need us to think differently about this incarnational life that Diane has spoke about. Um, so how do we change how we think? Perhaps is a good question about um, how we do this engagement process with communities. And, you know, firstly, uh, and this is maybe part of a longer talk, so I'm going to try and do in five minutes now what would normally take an hour, so um, hold back, get your seatbelts on. Um, firstly, everything starts with transformation of our minds. You know, I think this week we've been listening to a lot of speakers who, who have been working on the process of helping us transform how we think about who we are as Christians, transform who we understand ourselves to be and our relationship to God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And so in transforming our minds, as we get that revelation of who we are in Christ and of the presence of the Holy Spirit that we carry into our work on a Monday or into our sports club on a Monday night or into the, the gym who go there, um, not me at the minute. Um, <laughs> but wherever we go, we carry that. So there's a transforming our minds to realize that we are those who carry the presence of Jesus wherever we go. Secondly, in regard to incarnational life and living out that life of Christ, there's a transformation of our speech. How do you speak about the community in which you live? You know, I've heard people recently, you know, almost speak with condemnation terms over their community and them people up there in that estate those terrible people those can we begin as the people of Jesus to speak life over our communities so living out his presence requires that we speak life God has good plans for our communities can we as his people begin to speak and transform how we speak and speak that good life over our communities. So transform our minds, transform our speech, and transform our lives. I would love us all to leave here today and to intentionally think of one small way that we can engage with people in our communities and just live out the life of Jesus in their midst. That might be volunteering in a local group. It might be joining in with something that's really happening. Um, most good transformation occurs when we join in with what God's really doing rather than necessarily recreating something else. And so find something good that's happening in your community and go and live out the life of Jesus in the midst of that. Transform our lives, how we live out our lives. Fourthly, and I say this a little bit nervously, and this is the stage Gordon is prepared to uh, try and stop people running out the door. Um, transform our churches. Believe it or not, 
Communities are not transformed on Sundays. Communities are transformed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. There is a danger that we have been king, and I've been guilty of it, creating programs to bring solutions. And as a local church leader, creating a program that will meet such and such a need. And then expecting the local people to get on board. Rather than going to the local people and helping them do something, but with you as the presence carrier in their midst. And finally, transform communities. What does a transformed community look like? That's a great question. To me, it looks like a community where the presence of Jesus has made a difference. Who is the people of the presence of Jesus? We are. So in reality, this is maybe not as complicated as sometimes we make it living this incarnational life. I was looking up a, a definition of community transformation. and Some of you over the years may have seen videos that were produced called the transformation videos. And they looked at different communities around the world where God's presence has turned up through his people and made a real difference. And the guys who developed those series of videos came up with a, a couple of, well, they came up with five possible definitions of what it means to have lived out the life of Jesus in the community. And one was a neighborhood Imagine this as a neighborhood around your church. A neighborhood whose values and institutions have been overrun by the grace and presence of God. Wow. It's where the presence of God makes a difference. We are the cars of God's presence. Or a culture that has been impacted comprehensively and undeniably by the kingdom of God. It's about us living that incarnational life even if that means our church doesn't get the credit. Let all the credit go to Jesus. Let all the glory go to him. Diane. Tommy touched on this a wee bit of time ago, and I was trying to think of a different way of putting it, but I'm just going to put it the way, I, the way I've written it here. And this, this heading's called Authentic Relationship versus Scalp Hunter Mentality. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like commando raids out into the community. And the main question that I get asked when I go to churches to see if I can draw alongside them to, to help them engage with their local community is, how do we get them in? And I have to tell you, it's the wrong question. No matter how good your worship is, no matter how good your children's ministry, no matter how riveting your pastor's message, no matter how professional your musicians, without relationship in your local community, it's unlikely that they will come. There are many reasons the culture of the church is just too different. Their negative perception of the church, their negative perception of Christians, maybe from media that they've listened to, a negative experience of church in childhood, family life. Leisure. Life's so busy now. During our time at the link for 15 years, it took a long time in ours to break down the perception amongst the non-church-going community that if they came into the link, they wouldn't be preached at. Every time they came in, it was almost like they ducked down slightly because they thought they were going to be preached at. 
And they would come in with quite an aggressive manner to tell me what it was and to tell me how many times they'd been to Sunday school and what they'd been told as a child. And actually, they seemed really quite genuinely shocked that we were there, we were there to listen. But we were there to listen and to find out just where they were hurting and how could we help. Tony Campolo tells a story about a prostitute who made this statement about why she didn't come to church. She said, I already felt bad enough about myself. I didn't need to be made to feel worse. And as Tommy has said, authentic relationship. And I'm talking about authentic relationship because ask yourself this question. If this person doesn't become a Christian, how, or, or how, how long are you giving this person to become a Christian? Or is that the only reason you're doing this relationship? You're having this relationship. How long are you going to give them? Is it your job to convert them? Or is it God that shines that light into them? So if our approach is a merely to tell others that what they're doing wrong without recognizing the huge log in our own eyes, then relationship is extremely hard to build. And models of working. The how we offer our help and support to the community is really important. This listening needs to be with a humble heart. We need to model Jesus to others, not just tell them about him. Think of Jesus' demonstration of listening to others, even when it was blatantly obvious they needed healed, like Bartimaeus. It was blatantly obvious. Everybody else was ignoring him, and they were trying to get him out of the way when Jesus arrived. And Bartimaeus, he stops and he says, bring him to me. Notice he says, bring him to me. He doesn't actually walk over to him. So the crowd have a rule. You have a rule. The church has a rule. Of course it has. But Jesus then looks at Bartimaeus, and he, he's blatantly, obviously, blind and poor and a beggar. He doesn't go, I heal you. He says, what would you like me to do for you? That's Jesus. We need to model what Jesus does. It's not the only occasion. Look again and again at how Jesus deals with people, how sensitively he listens. And he's not above challenging them. The interesting thing at the link was people always expected that Christians would always be nice and would never actually tell them the truth about what the reality of their lives was. That's not what it's about. Of course, you have to tell people the consequences of what decisions that they make uh, uh, will lead to. It's not about that, but it's about listening to where the pain is and where the hurt is. It's alongside and with people, not doing things for them. And this is called community development, which is the model which organizations like Tear Fund and Christian Aid use in support of disadvantaged communities. But it's only really seen overseas, although it's widely used in the UK and in Northern Ireland. So doing things alongside and with people rather than for them. It starts with an understanding that God created us all as valuable individuals with gifts and abilities. I have I am valuable in God's sight, but so are you. No matter if you were born in a very poor estate, no matter what struggles you have, you are hugely valuable in God's eyes. 
How do we help people to understand what gifts and abilities they have rather than doing things for them? Food banks are great. And in a crisis situation, of course, we need to help and support people. But understanding what causes people to end up in the food bank in the first place, understanding what complicated things happen out in community because of poverty and because of unfairness and injustice, which God talks about all the time in the Bible, is hugely important. People believe that they are worthless and they have no gifts and abilities. And only by showing people that they're valuable to us can we show them that they're valuable to God. Because, as Tommy said, we're Jesus' eyes and ears and hands and feet. We are that presence carrier to our communities and to these people who are hurting and feel they're worthless. For God so loved the world not just the people in the church. Local unchurched community members have many important skills and gifts as well. And Tommy's talked about not just reinventing the wheel in your congregation, not just starting something because you see a need, but joining in with what's already out there because that's what brings relationship. You're saying, what you're doing is fantastic. How can we help? Not the church knows better. We're going to do this for you because you're really are not really good at doing it. How do we enable the people to believe that we care and that they're valuable and that they have skills and abilities? And of course, if we walk away and we're already doing things for people, when we walk away, they're left almost in a worse state than they were when we first went to help them. And church members have great skills and abilities too. So those things alongside each other often are complementary. And my experience is often that um, churches lack a knowledge sometimes of the issues that are out there in communities that need addressed, even though they're full of doctors, nurses, teachers, civil servants, in government departments, policemen, all of whom have a knowledge of good, uh, good knowledge of issues in civic society. So why do we struggle to think that we don't know how to engage in our communities? How often are these people that I've just named in our churches prayed for and sent out into their weekly jobs with the blessing, prayers and support of their congregations? How often are we led to believe that what we do out there is absolutely being a presence carrier for Christ? Because that is your ministry. That is what you are called to do. That is your gifting. Could the knowledge of these people within our congregations be tapped into in addressing some of the local issues? Have we asked the local community members for their opinions and suggestions of how the church could pray for them and support them better, where they're hurting, what they need? Because my experience is that with knowledge and understanding comes action. And that prayer group is a perfect example. Just want to remember... Um interjection for 30 seconds or 10 seconds to say um, it's wonderful for to have Diane here doing this today on her birthday so uh, she's 21 today um, so we just say happy birthday Diane just in case I forget about that at the end Gordon might remember but he might not to do that at the end um, yeah folks programs versus presence there's no verses it's programs and presence or programs or presence it's not one or the other, and I am very much involved in um, helping people engage with programs that can work well with and, and, and alongside communities. The Cinema Network that I do some work for advocate on behalf of about 30, 40 projects that have been tried and tested and now running 
hundreds and thousands of churches across the UK. So we advocate on behalf of projects like Trussell Trust Food Banks and CAP and things that you're aware of. All great and wonderful programs and projects, you might say. Uh, but if ultimately we engage in those, and I've met with church leaders who said, well, what project do you think we could do or get more people into our youth group or more people into our church? If that is the ultimate motive, then maybe it's not the right motive. I used to work a long time ago in education and training. And in those days, and it may not be much different now, anybody who works in the training sector might know, um, we were paid based on the number of young people who signed up to the training program. Which caused us to arrive at this rather maybe unpleasant term that we were paid on the basis of bums on seats. Sometimes I think in our churches, our motivation is bums on seats. That may sound harsh, but the question I had in my mind as I was preparing yesterday was, are our church programs designed to fill our churches or to bring people to Jesus? You might say it's the same thing, Tommy. You know, if you engage with the local community organization and if someone in that community organization becomes a Christian and they don't come to your church, how would you feel? But ultimately, we're here about communicating Jesus to our communities. Not necessarily any one particular church or denomination. Um, this is something I struggle with, but I think as we begin to learn that the change comes in the lives of our people as they encounter lives that have been changed. The lives that are, have been changed are our lives, the lives that have experienced the life of Christ within us. And so ultimately the change in an individual's life comes through an encounter or an interaction with someone else who has encountered Jesus. More people will come to faith through personal relationship connections than by walking in off the street on a Sunday. You know, that's the reality. Many people, believe it or not, out there, outside of the church door, are suspicious of the church and their agenda. Particularly in this modern society that we live in, where we are in a complete cultural shift. Uh, so it takes time to build those relationships because people out there in society, many of them see the church as an irrelevance. Even in the Republic of Ireland, things have transformed dramatically, you might say, for the wrong uh, but even speaking to a leader in Catholic church society in the South, he said that in the last 30 years, from a society that was focused and built around the parish concept, it is now a society that is completely switched against anything to do with religion of any form. Whether it's Catholic or present, they've had it. So building relationships takes time, but if people encounter individuals whose lives have been transformed by the presence of Christ, and they can build a real long-term relationship with those people, those lives will be impacted by the presence of Jesus in you and me. Guaranteed. Um, a gentleman formerly of this parish, so to speak, Alan Scott, who was until recently pastor at Causeway Coast Vineyard, said recently, the power of the kingdom is given to bring health to the city, not just your church. Jesus calls us to broken humanity, not Christian activity. That last line. Jesus calls us to broken humanity, not Christian 
activity, Christian activity is good. Reaching broken humanity is the mission of Jesus. And let's be careful that we don't get caught up in activity. I have been in this, in this planet, on this planet, 50 plus years. I know you can't believe that. But um, I'm still younger than Gordon. Um, but, 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 but in this journey of walking a Christian life for most of that time and being in leadership in churches for most of that time and in mission organizations, I am yet to see a situation where one single church can transform any one community. It's going to be only transformed as we release our relational presence into those communities, the presence of Jesus, wherever we go and wherever we are. So ultimately, are we, as Diane called it rather politely, are we in the situation of being um, authentic relationships versus scalp hunter mentality? Or am I slightly less polite way of saying, are we about bums on seats? Um, or are we about being those who bring transformation to broken humanity? Regardless of whether those people end up in our church or not. That is the challenge of authentically living out the presence of Jesus. Diane. Um, we're sort of running out of time, so uh, <laughs> I think we'll do a little bit of, bit of cutting. Um, ministry of Presence, what does that actually look like? Henry Nguyen talked about this idea of Ministry of Presence. And you know, to me, it's like when someone is bereaved, you know, we don't always know what to do or what to say, but just being alongside others in love is to let them know that we care, that's hugely important. If you've had someone who you love who's died and you know what that's like, you know having somebody alongside you and not necessarily even about saying, maybe just holding your hand, maybe just, you just need someone there who cares. And that's that ministry of presence. As we dwell among those in our community who are different to us, we develop more of an understanding of who they are and the issues that they face. And as we journey with God in our personal discipleship, asking him to reveal himself to us, we also begin to see our own hearts and ask him to reveal that to us. So, for example, when I was at the link, I had really to develop an understanding of local poverty and address my attitudes to it. Because I, I began to realize that I was really judgmental and, and I categorized people into the deserving and the undeserving poor. I had to learn some facts and I had to actually understand the system of benefits and how unfair it was within our communities. I had to understand some of the issues that people out there faced rather than just pointing the finger and deciding that they were to blame for many of the ills of our society. As a Christian, I believe deeply that we're called to be salt and light wherever we are, right on our doorstep to shine the light of Christ into the darkness that encompasses much of our society. And you're here today, I have absolutely no doubt, because you feel the same way. And I, but unfortunately, I've worked with many churches right across the province who, and have been involved in res research that shows that churches are struggling to understand how to better reach out within their communities. 
And because there is division within congregation and competing agendas, that means that churches often spend much more time maintaining their own structures and firefighting than building the kingdom of God. You know that's to be true. Maybe it's that we don't manage conflict well. Maybe it's that we're, we're just too concentrated on the church and not concentrated on what Jesus has called us to be in terms of bringing transformation and life that's thriving and flourishing. That life that, life that he called, we're called to live to the full. He wants us to have life and to have it to the full. And maybe it's maybe about talking a little bit now because we want to give you time to have questions, but how can you get support? Well, Tommy and I are involved with a number of compassion organizations. We facilitate a network called ServNI and the Trussell Trust and uh, CAP and Rock and the Cinnamon Network, Thrive Ireland, um, Care for the Family. Different organizations are all a part of that. So we want to join the dots a bit better, but also we're very much about seeking to resource churches and to support you in whatever way we can. Thrive Ireland has been set up to enable the local church to release its mission and vision to support the development of local um, or authentic relationships um, with the local unchurched community to meet identified need and enable people to thrive and flourish and become the people that God created them to be. Emoji's been adapted into something that's very simple so almost what's used out in Africa. Um, it's, it's crossing the road to meet your neighbor. Stop, look, listen, walk. And there's some more information at the front here about Emoja. Um, there's a wee bit of information about Thrive. I mean, Tommy and I are here after. And there's a wee sheet if you want to sign up because we both agreed that if there were people who were interested in finding out a bit more and finding out further, we would, we would actually arrange to meet again if people were interested in that. Do you want to say something more before we just ask for questions? A very, a very quick final comment for me, and then um, I'll take questions and Diane can answer them. Um, <laughs> um, I, I try to summarize things often into as few words as possible, and so I was trying to do that last night about this, you know, and uh, I wrote down a little, a little statement that I will refer to, because I might not get it right if I try and do it from memory, but... And this, you can maybe write it down, you're taking notes or go away and think about it, but it's just a thought. Programs equals short-term intervention. Presence equals long-term investment. Programs equals short-term intervention. Presence equals long-term investment. And so... With that said, you know, I, I obviously I, I'm encouraging folks to go away and try and be intentional about bringing the presence of Jesus to your community. And also, if you're people who at this time of the year are starting to plan your programs for the new term coming up in September, church life kicking off again, as it were, in September, think about how your programs can help your people carry the presence of Jesus to others. Um, so that's probably enough from Diana and me. Uh, questions? Who would like to ask Diana a question? <laughs> Hand up and I'll... Yes? This is a really good question. I need to repeat for the sake of the tape so we can get this on tape. But what basically the question originally is around having read a book uh, by a chap originally from here who now lives in the midst of a community 
in Manchester and is trying to live out his missional life in that community. And I think we know some people who are doing that very thing. And uh, really what, what the gentleman's saying here is in the book, there's no reference to people actually coming to faith in Jesus. And so what is the difference between living out that sort of presence-oriented life in that community and actually just doing ordinary community development work if there's going to be nobody come to faith in Jesus? Diane. You're a funny boy. Um, You can answer this too, but I mean... So, as a Christian person, your faith is what drives you. You you know, to, to me, your faith is an inherent part of who you are. And there was never a time at the link that people didn't want to know why we did what we did and then ask us about our faith. They knew that at the heart of of what we did, it was our faith. And we naturally got the chance and the ability to engage with that. But the local church, when you're an individual, that's, that's probably different. But the local church is in an incredible position you know, because it is the local church. So the local church is perceived, of course, to be someone who is wanting to bring the love of Christ and is actually wanting to, to bring, make disciples. There's, of course, a difference between bringing people to faith and then enabling them to become disciples. So there is a little bit of strategic work to do in that as well. So, Tommy, I'll let you finish off there. Yeah, there's a whole lot of big subject we're on, but there's a whole range of discussions around the difference between social action, social justice, social evangelism, and all those different terms. And uh, my answer back to this is what I would say personally is that I would not be interested in engaging with the program or the presence oriented living if Jesus wasn't the centre of it all. And as showing people the life and example of Jesus was not central to it. Um, ultimately, I am a core evangelical, and I will remain a core evangelical. Um, there is those who have taken social action into social liberalism, which is more a liberal movement rather than an evangelism movement. Um, so it's about being, when you engage in connecting and bringing the presence of Jesus to the community, it's about staying rooted in Jesus and rooted to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I would say. Um, any other quick questions? Now, could possibly quick enough, two quick questions. Okay, so the question is, how do you start to engage with the local community? Is it an order? What is it? Um, I will give a quick answer and pass it to Diane this time. Um, yes, knowing what is the needs of the community is very important, uh, but not the danger of knowing the needs is that then you do something about it without actually partnering with the community. So it's not about finding the needs and then doing it yourselves. It's about walking alongside the community to find the needs with the community. And so for years, I would have went to churches and oversights of churches and helped them do what I called area profile analysis, helping them understand the demographics and needs of the area. But in reality, unless they walk alongside the local people in the community, what, there, what will appear as their good works would be rejected. So it's about finding the needs, but doing in consultation and conjunction with the local people. I'd say there are a number of issues as well when you're working with a congregation, particularly a congregation that has a long history and has operated in a certain way for a long time. So you're not only dealing with what you want to try and do transformatory-wise out in your community, but you're looking at what the issues are going to be in terms of what the expectations and problems might be within your local congregation. So one of the things I would say is that there is a bit of a process that, that we try and encourage people to, and that's the whole idea is to stop. So that you know, we would encourage people to look at a number of different things, understand what community development is about from this from a Christian perspective. You know, this idea of that everyone's valuable to God and doing things alongside and with rather than for people. 
taking time to understand the complex nature of the community around you and different attitudes to local and global poverty. And then that's the stop, because you want to take time to stop. I would say in terms of this process, time to listen to God, to each other, and to your local community is really at the heart of it. Um, so there's a wee summary there of the types of things that I suggest, but I mean, we would, we would certainly journey with you, as you if you were asking those questions. It's not that something that can be summed up in a very quick, quick answer, sorry. I, I just to say, Diane is too humble to say, but Thrive Ireland have a, a little four, I think, week program of walking alongside the church to help them think about how they start. So um, she's too humble to say that she's summarizing a four-week program there, but she is, um, that she can offer a church in terms of training. I will take a very, very final 30-second question, if anybody has one. If not, I'm about to, um, I don't know, Gordon, my hand them back to you? No? Okay, so I'm going to pray and release you then. I think that's what we want to do. Um, going, 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 gone. Okay, let's just pray. Um, do you want to stand to pray? Let's, let's change our position. Stand to pray. Uh, well, I, I, if I'm going to change my position, I'm going to have to sit down to pray. But anyhow, uh, let's pray. So, Father, we want to give you all the glory today. We want to ascribe glory to your name, Father, and we want to give you thanks for Jesus Christ who makes all the difference in our lives, for the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And Father, we pray that you'll help each one of us to live out the transformational presence of Jesus in our lives, in our churches and in our communities through the power of the Holy Spirit. May something of what we said or heard today cause us to think and to act on how we bring a greater sense of God's presence to the people we meet on the street, in the workplace, in our communities, wherever we go when we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.